Hello, stargazers. Welcome to Seventh House Astrology, where I take any topic that's astrological or any topic that's related to relationships and romance. I investigate under the lens of sinistry astrology, otherwise known as love or relationship astrology. I am so glad that you guys have joined me for today. And today's topic is a little bit on the grim note. I think for me, since I just lost my dad not too long ago, um, it's really more of a what the hell happened, you know, astrologically. And I've been trying to piece that together since that time, and I've had some trouble. Um, so this week, for this week's episode, I decided to, you know, bring in some resources and take a look and do a little more of an in-depth topic. Um, I do want to just say, Stargazers, if you have lost somebody and if this episode is just too much at one time, please feel free to pause it. Please feel free to stop and, you know, definitely listen to it when you are ready. I also just want to say, um, for those of you who have not lost someone and you kind of feel like, oh gosh, Sandra, but it's the holiday season. Again, f please feel free to, um, you can skip this episode if you need to. You can stop this episode, stop listening if you need to, and maybe pick it up within the new year or at another time when you feel a little more ready to listen. I, I won't take offense. I know this is kind of a dark topic. But as usual, when it comes to my podcast, one thing that I like to take a look at when it comes to the astrology of relationships is that the unfortunate thing that we normally don't like to deal with is that we, we usually like to deal with the beginnings of relationships. You know, the honeymoon phase, you know, first falling in love and, you know, making commitments and, you know, sometimes that, that beginning and middle, um, effect and that middle sort of, um, you know, transitory period where, you know, we're looking for apartments, we're kind of bonding with one another. But unfortunately, there are times where relationships end and they were, they end, or there's other times where there might be a dark cloud over the relationship as we had, um, it, you know, kind of explored in the relationship of trauma where someone might, you know, be in the relationship, but they might have faced trauma or in this situation, in this case, someone may have lost someone who was very near and dear to them. And, uh, the whole point of this episode is to just kind of, not only to pinpoint what's going on astrologically, but again, I, I'm just hoping um, that I can gain, you know, not only can I gain some more clarity for myself going through a very difficult transitory phase um, in this period, but also I, I'm hoping that I can help those of you out there who have lost someone. Um, either through death and, you know, those who have gone through grief. And I know this is the one, death is the one subject we don't like to talk about, but unfortunately it does happen. Um, there are those who are widowed. There are those who, um, you know, their father or their mom dies or, um, you know, if you're just in, in the relationship and someone passes on, um, you know, the, these things do happen and as much as this, they can be difficult, um, I, I'd love to, you know, like I said, shed some light to where it might, um, also, you know, like there's something that can be hopeful, um, at the end of this dark period, like there might be a rainbow at the end of these dark clouds. That's at least what I'm hoping. I'm crossing my fingers. But uh, Stargazers, please do feel free to let me know at mysic.sandra at gmail.com or at my Instagram page at sandra.mysic. And M -I it's M-I-S-E-K um, is how that is spelled. But to just get right into it. So I kind of thought, um, you know, death and grief. I kind of thought just to cover grief would be like covering one half of a coin to deal with death would be one half of a coin. So I kind of blended the two together, you know, the cause and then the effect um, of what we can see astrologically. So when it comes to the factors of death, um, really when it comes down, so Chris Brennan um, in his podcast, The Astrology Podcast, 
he has a really wonderful episode that kind of he where he does like a deep dive with his guest on the factors of death and dying. And what I love about Chris Brennan more than anything, well, first off, his credentials are impeccable as an astrologer. He graduated from Kepler College. He worked with Robert Hand, who is like one of the great of the greatest of um, astrologers. And he is also the editor of The Mountain Astrologer, which is a big publication out here in the Denver, Colorado, um, and also in the broader Colorado area. Um, so, and I think that that's a, that is a huge thing. Um, for me, The Mountain Astrologer is like Vogue almost, or being the, the head editor of Vogue. Um, so he has really wonderful credentials. But what I really love about Chris Brennan is that he does not, shy away from his topics and he really does quite a, a great deep dive on things. He also blends a lot, you know, since he um, majored in Hellenistic astrology back in Kepler College, he blends a lot of ancient astrology and the literal factors um, that were found in that time with 20th century astrology and the metaphorical factors that we now see um, in astrology at this time. So, and I thought that that was very helpful because, um, sometimes when it comes to the astrology of death, it's, it, that can be as literal as anyone can get. And that's like a literal, you know, chart interpretation. But, uh, he mainly mentioned that it's, um, transitory. You know, it's a transitory effect. Now, he mentioned like just difficult transits that hit the natal chart. He wasn't really specific for most of his episode. And I think that it's because, you know, just like with medical astrology, there can be a myriad of factors. You know, you can have a, a malefic, you know, when you start to, you know, feel an ill effect, for instance, or like you say, you, you start to hit illness. Um, you can have any sort of malefic or any sporadic planet, you know, hit either the 6th or the 12th or even the 10th and the 2nd houses, which are considered the quote-unquote earth houses, because 2nd, 6th, and 10th are ruled by Taurus, Virgo, and Capricorn. But also, um, as we had seen when it came to uh, COVID, and as we had seen when it just uh, just all the way around, sometimes it can be malefics that hit um you know, just earth signs as well, too. Um, like with COVID, we just, you know, it didn't really matter where Capricorn really was. We had malefics hit Capricorn and hence kind of, you know, malefics being Pluto and um, Saturn both being conjunct in Capricorn, you know, suddenly kind of bolstering not only extreme illness, but also, um, you know, in some cases, the the death of um, COVID, or really some just complications from COVID as well. Um, some of that also being death. But um, I think when it comes down to uh, you know astrology of death or dying, um, normally the houses that were mentioned were either the sixth and of course the twelfth. I, I just want to say um, before I keep going, I mentioned the twelfth house earlier. The 12th house is actually considered to be a watery house. I'm not sure. I think it's, you know, because the polar opposite to the 6th house, it's also considered to be, um, you know, like how chronic an illness, you know, it can indicate how chronic an illness can be or how serious a, a, an illness can be um, when there are malefics who also hit outside of that house. And I think the very nature for that is because it's the house of secrets. And... Um, you know, also it's just, it carries, um, I think, you know, uh, a book called, um, The Astrology for Mystics or Astrology for Mystics had mentioned that, um, when it comes to the watery houses, it kind of, um, features the unknown factors, you know, uh, like unknown illnesses or unknown, um, factors in life as well, too, because of the unknown and the mysterious nature of water as well. But uh, Chris Brennan had mentioned not only the 6th and the 12th houses when it comes to death, but um, he had mentioned, you know, obviously he and his guests had mentioned um, when you have a transitory, so transitory is being your transits. 
you know, those planets that are currently hitting um, outside your natal chart or outside the deceased's natal chart um, can really factor in. Um, you know, it's not like, you know, you're born with a particular planet that, you know, pretends your doom. You know, it's uh, not at all um, of that nature. It's really more, um, you know, what's kind of occurring in that moment and if it's hitting certain planets or if it's hitting certain houses. Um, some of the houses that were mentioned, um, you know, were not only the 6th and the 12th, which I thought was interesting, but also the 8th house. Uh, there's a lot of plants building up outside the 8th house, specifically malefics. Uh, malefics, again, are Mars, Pluto, or Saturn. Um, those are usually in, in indicators that, uh, you know, that maybe that metaphorical shift of death that we normally take um, in modern astrology might become more of a, a literal form. Um, you know, it's usually advised within astrology that if you have a lot of planets building outside the eighth, definitely go see a doctor, um, definitely consult the aid of medical professionals because there might be something building. Um, also, I, I didn't know this at all, and I wouldn't have guessed this one, but according to ancient astrology, you know, malefics or planets that build up outside the fourth house were considered to be the deadly house as well, too. And mainly the, the factor of it is when you take a look at a natal chart, when you take a, take a look at an astrology chart, the fourth house is normally that house that is way down at the bottom of the chart. It's way below the ascendant, which is kind of like um, the skyline, if we're to think about it. The 10th house is actually like the, the top of heaven. And the fourth house, the um, explanation, I think the, the Hellenistic explanation was that um, the fourth house was really like below the earth, you know, kind of indicating when you'll when you'll hit six feet below, so to speak. Or when um, the Greeks actually believed that the underworld too, it's like when you'll um, go on, they believed not only was the underworld underground, but also full of water, which was kind of interesting. But it's like, you know, when, um, when will you hit that, that area, you know, when will you cross the, the river of the, of the, um, the dead, or when will you cross the river um, leading to the underworld at that time as well. And it's interesting, like I said, with the Greeks, that not only was the underworld full of water, <laughs> um, because, and not only underground, but full of water. It's interesting because the fourth house is not only as underground as you can get in astrology, you know, looking, it looks like it's underground, but also fourth house is ruled by cancer, which is a water sign as well, too. And it seems like death really seems to pervade and the water houses, you know, while the water houses can be the mystical houses, it seems like the water houses also kind of um, give you that sense of a finality. And like I said, especially um, it's always specifically the malefics. If um, like Pluto, the current transit of Pluto is hitting outside the fourth house or also um, I have to add to it's not just the malefics, but. You know, if a crazy planet like Uranus or, um, you know, with uh, Uranus, I mean, it, I call it the crazy planet because it's it's like, you know, energy that can't be grounded. If that's hitting outside of these houses as well, you might want to, it's like definitely, you know, take care um, either with loved ones or take care of you. Um, things are happening very suddenly as well, too. But like anything that's a crazy sort of conjunction or crazy buildup um, in these houses usually indicates death or dying. Um, it really brought a lot of solace to me. Um, like I said, I've been, actually, I don't want to say what, like I said, but there have been times where I've been waxing very philosophical when it comes to grief. And then there are other times where I'm just really dead sad um, when it comes to grief. But I think in the philosophical, it kind of gave me some solace because my dad, he didn't have, he got suddenly sick. So one thing that I tried to take a look at was his sixth and his 12th houses and uh, nothing, well, his sixth house particularly, nothing was outside of there. Nothing was outside the earth houses to indicate a sudden illness. But what I did notice was that Pluto was kind of on the horizon 
near his first house, which is not very helpful. Um, but also Uranus was right outside his fourth house, right outside his natal Jupiter. Um, Jupiter, if we're going to take the really ancient, um, you know, predictive measures of this, Jupiter can be a healer, a healing planet, as well as a planet that shows gross amounts of um, something like, you know, uh, gluttony or greed. But um, what I found with my dad was with, you know, Uranus, it could either accelerate the healing that he was feeling from being ill, or it could get in the way of healing. And knowing Uranus, most of the time, it's usually getting in the way. Um, I have, it's interesting because I have this conjunction in my own chart. And I feel like when I do get sick, it either can, you know, the, the effect of this conjunction can either be helpful or sometimes I feel like I heal really slowly. And I kind of wonder if Uranus against Jupiter has that effect to where it's like it's trying to hinder, um, because of its crazy, you know, sporadic energy. But I felt that really, um, explained a lot with my dad. If I had known that, um, way before, I mean, man, would I have pressed him to really go to the doctor, you know, to really kind of mind his health and, um, help him out a little bit. But, you know, woulda, shoulda, coulda. The other thing though, um, I know the biggest conclusion from this is like, oh, so if it's outside our charts, outside of these particular houses, then we need to go see the doctor. And actually that's, this is how, um, the astrology of death can be very nebulous. And this is how I can see why the water houses particularly can really play an effect, um, malefics or sporadic planets outside the water houses could really play an effect because you know, it's really, it's very, like, water can also be very fluid and can work in a myriad of different ways. Um, I would say if you're trying to find a predictor, uh, one thing that I had realized or that I had noticed in my own life um, with my dad's death was there have been, so um, there's not only uh, Neptune, but also Saturn, current transits, have been sitting pretty outside my eighth house for quite a long time. And with these transits, I've kind of expected to not only see um, like a disillusionment when it comes to change and transformation in my own life, but also maybe a hardcore um, wanting to deal with it as well, too, with the Saturn effects. And I've had that as well before my dad's death, but it it's like it was very minor. I was kind of expecting more of a really pronounced shift um, with these two plants being outside my eighth house. Um, I think what it was trying to announce to me that it wasn't necessarily for my benefit that they're outside my eighth house. Then maybe some of its predictive tendencies, you know, it, it like I would just say if it's not really if there are transits that are not really affecting you that strongly, good chance it's predicting something with a loved one nearby. Or it's kind of giving you that prediction of keep an eye on your loved ones nearby. And I kind of felt like that was the case with my eighth house crowding. Um, I'm also making sure my health is okay. I'm also making sure that I'm, I'm okay and uh, that nothing bad you know, or sudden happens to me. Although I kind of felt like this buildup outside my eighth house was, was it, um, for me uh, on this regard. So what I would just say when it comes to the predictive measures, because it's hard to, well, and I think I understand where 20th century, you know, philosophers and astrologers wanted to make astrology far more metaphorical, you know, the death being more about change because it's a very hard thing to predict and it's also a very hard thing to hear. Um, but I would just say nine times out of 10, if you're wondering what is going on when it comes to the predictors of that, take a look at like which planets, especially if it's like 
fourth, eighth, or twelfth houses. They're planets that are sitting out there. They're not really affecting you as you expect them to affect you. You might want to take a look around you and see if loved ones are doing okay. You know, that's where I think the the metaphorical is starting to turn into the literal um, from the ancient astrology um, aspect. And just kind of take a look at what's what's going on um, when it comes to those loved ones. And, you know, if you would like to feel like you're as though you're preventing, um, maybe encourage those loved ones to seek some advice or to really um, get some help as well, too. What was also interesting, um, there was uh, both Chris Brennan and his guests had also mentioned Saturn having a hard aspect to Pluto. Now, with my dad's chart, I didn't really see that happening. Um, actually, if anything, Saturn was at an easy aspect to Pluto outside his chart. Not only was it easy, but um, Saturn was more in his third house, not his fourth house. And Pluto really more was sitting like kind of between his first and second houses because it's like late Capricorn at this time is where it's where it's sitting. But also, well, um, when it comes to the transits, anything and I I would also include, too, if um, like transitory Pluto is in hard aspect to your natal Saturn. Or if you're, or if transitory Saturn is an as, a hard aspect to your natal Pluto, good chance get yourself. I would just say on the the medical astrology account, get yourself checked, or make sure if a loved one has that in their chart, uh, maybe make sure they're doing okay. And if they need, if they are feeling under the weather, or they're not feeling very well, or they're having an illness that they just can't shake, or something is going on that they can't just explain and it's it's making them really ill get them checked out go the, go to the doctor for sure on those guys early you know again to be forewarned is to be forearmed and um you know you could actually help to save that person um in that regard as well too but that's another indicator along with the um the watery houses you know malefics outside the watery houses and then, of course, um, if there are any eclipses, lunar or solar. Um, so, so I think I can under, you know, actually, Chris Brennan mentioned this as well, too. I think I'm beginning to understand why the ancients held solar and lunar eclipses um, so ominously. Um, well, first off, the site is pretty weird. Uh, you know, lunar eclipse can be really weird. In the regard that feels like you're wearing shades, but you're not. And the lunar, the lunar eclipse can really be very weird in the regard that's turning blood red in the sky. And of course, the ancients saw that and it was like, oh my God, the, the moon is bleeding. This is bad. Um, so the, I mean, the sight is kind of eerie and uh, it can be, it can seem kind of ominous. But also the nature of the eclipses. Eclipses are so sudden. You know, even though the solar eclipse brings in an awakening of things, um, you know, like opening of doors, uh, again, a lot of things come on very suddenly when it happens. Uh, like for the first couple of weeks, it seems like things are kind of in chaos or even like even the, the week before um, a solar eclipse, everything's in chaos, um, mainly because everything is just very topsy-turvy in that time. That energy is just really scattered. And lunar eclipses are very sudden in and of itself in the regard of sudden goodbyes and sudden departures. But uh, with this, it was thought that any sort of eclipses, lunar or solar, um, could also, you know, factor in, you know, somebody, it seems like a lot of deaths seem to happen after a lunar eclipse, especially, um, you know, lunar eclipses also being that of goodbyes. But I wouldn't be surprised if solar eclipses are not too far behind with that, you know, knowing how chaotic the energy is. And, you know, we think about it astronomically, it's kind of chaotic. Um, you know, we have the moon and the sun, you know, kind of um, blocking one another out for a period of time. So, again, that gravitational pull and that, that would kind of shift things on our planet, I would think. 
Um, but also, you know, just the energy, the energy is as such where it's, um, very just wonky all the way around. But unfortunately with an eclipse, um, that can also cause someone to have really bad health. It could cause deaths as well too. So as I said during, as I said with the, um, watery houses, I say the same with an eclipse, when that next eclipse occurs before you, like, especially that solar eclipse or that lunar eclipse, before you go out and take a look at it, before you buy those special sunglasses and go out and take a look at it, just make sure that, um, along with accepting big shifts in your life, just make sure that your loved ones are, are okay. And maybe just like kind of keep an eye, maybe like keep an eye on you and keep an eye on your loved ones and just make sure that, uh, Everything is kind of squared away and everything's a-okay because that can also, um, shift things a little bit as well, too. And I think my dad, during the solar eclipse, I think my dad, um, you know, he took the ancient's viewpoint and started to make a joke on it, but I think he was pretty accurate. I think he was far more accurate than I was at the time, um, considering what also happened, but, I think before his death, there was also um, a lunar eclipse that had happened as well, too. And like I said, when those those plants hit in the heavens, my goodness, oh, you know, my goodness, it, t- it turns into a chain reaction here on Earth. So um, with all these factors with death, then, and again, like I said, the astrology of death is really kind of difficult to um pretend because like I said, again, um, some factors in a chart could also be very metaphorical. It's hard to know, uh, where the ancients might have said, okay, you know, Pluto outside the fourth house, that means you're going to die, you know, or, um, in predicting their own deaths, it's like, you know, this, this, at this age, whatever the fourth house indicates, this is when I'm going to die. You know, it's, it's not always as clear cut. So, um, I always just say to the second piece of advice, you know, just try to be as open as you possibly can be when it comes to the interpretations of what there is and what's going on in either your chart or the chart of a loved one. And, you know, try not to think too literally on it because, again, you know, the metaphorical, the, the 20th century version could apply you know, where you might have some big changes in the home, where you might have some big transformational changes on more of a, you know, personal growth level. Um, you know, so like I said, just keep your, your mindset very broad. But I just always like to include, it's like, you know, if you want to merge a little bit of the ancients, a little bit of um, the the moderns in here, you know, maybe take both viewpoints into mind and just, you know, maybe take that ancient wisdom and just try to take a look at everyone and everything, including yourself, and making sure that everything's kind of squared away and everything's a-okay. And, you know, it's, you're not factoring these things. You're not like me where, you know, you kind of take everything for granted until it's too late. That's how I kind of feel. Um, That could be grief speaking, unfortunately, but you know, it's, it's how everyone tends to feel when we lose somebody. It's like, if only, if only, and, you know, sometimes, um, try to also take into mind, I would just say with these aspects, they're not all encompassing. They're not all predictive. So try to take into mind that sometimes the inevitable, I think what really astrology kind of points to us when it comes to the, to the astrology of death is sometimes the inevitable just, just happens. And, you know, while there might be an explanation later on, maybe just accepting that shit, like some people say shit happens sometimes, I think is also um, a good factor involved. And I I feel like my mind has been just a little, you know, the, you know, with, with my dad's death, my mind has been just a little more open to that, that, you know, sometimes stuff just happens. Or sometimes things just happen that's just beyond our control. And, um, you know, trying to factor those guys in as well, um, you know, if, you know, like being maybe more ready to handle that um, for the future. I don't know if we're ever ready, but, you know, especially when we lose a loved one, I don't think we're ever ready. But, um, 
you know, it's, it's, it's one of those, again, it's just another thing to kind of just another thing that, you know, philosophically to kind of just factor in, you know, not, not that it's hardcore truth. It's just, just a philosophical musing. So when it comes, uh, from, when it comes down to death, um, of course, how grief hits and the astrology of how grief hits. So, um, there is an author out there by the name of Darylin Gunsberg. And literally her book is entitled The Astrology of Grief. Um, actually, Darylin Gunsberg, I'm just going to say this to you. If I can find a copy of your book, I think I would love to read it cover to cover. Uh, because I feel like it could really help me right now. <laughs> uh, being in the midst of all this, st the sticky stuff of grief and the hard maneuverings of grief as well. But um, if you are going through grief, um, really check her book out because um, I actually previewed some of what is um, in her book, but it was just on a website where she was explaining the different um, chart associations of how, you know, due to um, particular planets and how they're arranged in your, your natal chart, how you're naturally dealing with grief and factors to kind of keep in mind with that. And I thought it was super interesting and, you know, really something to share with you guys. And it kind of helped me out too, um, at least within this week and, um, and also within this next week. So I would, I personally, I, I'm personally going to look for that book, The Astrology of Grief. <laughs> but um, really what she had mentioned when it comes down to grief is, so if there's a ton of either fixity or mutability, now that's like fancy astrologers speak for saying if you have a ton of planets in fixed signs or if you have a ton of planet immutable signs. So we'll start off with the fixed signs. So if you have a ton of planets in fixed signs, um, she actually mentions particularly if you have a lot of planets in Scorpio and Taurus, more likely than not grief, that anger stage in grief. So there, there's five stages of grief. Um, so we have the sadness, anger, you know, kind of disillusionment, bargaining, and then finally acceptance being the fifth one. And they don't go in linear order. I can tell you that much. They kind of go in a, like a cyclical order all the way around. Um, like I said, I've, I've dealt with like acceptance and then I've dealt with sadness um, just recently. And I know I'm, I'm not over. Um, I think that there's, there's a lot more um, going for it, but in dealing with the five steps of grief, um, those who have fixed signs might feel as though um, they actually experience anger first, um, especially those with um, Scorpio and actually with Scorpio, uh, Taurus and Virgo. Um, you know, the, even though Virgo is actually immutable, um, they said a lot of uh, planets in Virgo uh, can cause a lot of anger as well. Um, first off with Scorpio, there's the fear of betrayal and seeing death as that sort of betrayal. You know, I lost you. You left suddenly. How dare you betray me? You know, um, it, that might be like the kind of, you know, at the root. And again, um, there's variations on this one. Um, it might not just be about betrayal. It could bring up feelings of betrayal that might have occurred in the past or, a feeling of betrayal. And again, um, you know, with the guilt associated with grief, you might feel very guilty and wrestling with that. Um, with Taurus, it's the fear of emotional change. Uh, Taurians don't like change big time. And, you know, I'll say this too with Leos and Aquarians, you know, all the fixed signs, Scorpio, Leo, Aquarius, Taurus, we hate change big time. Um, when something changes, it's, it's very hard for us to wrestle with this. But with Taurus, if anything changes with their home or anything changes with their lifestyle or their family, they really get very distressed over it. Um, particularly if like, say something nice in the home is taken away or a nice family members taken away, they really have a hard time. But especially with death, they might wrestle with, um, they get mad over the fact that 
the emotional climate is changing so badly. And they might feel, again, they might feel a sense of guilt um, over this, over the anger. They might just feel full-blown anger. Um, it's it, like I said, everybody, if it goes through those five stages very, rather differently, but I thought that that was interesting. Um, and that Virgo was included. And I think with Virgo, it's the, the need of perfection. And again, process, you know, grief is not perfect. Processing grief is not perfect. It doesn't come in a nice, neat little package with a bow, um, so it kind of gets that need for perfection that, okay, I need to experience sadness and then I need to experience anger. And then I, it's like with Virgos that, you know, a lot of plants outside of Virgos, that person may feel they need to do things linearly. And unfortunately with grief, it throws a monkey wrench into linear, um, likes to be cyclical or even just nonlinear. Um, it just likes to pop up sporadically being the bitch that grief is. I hate to say it, but it is true. She could be very informative. She can be a real bitch, just like karma. Um, so I think, uh, you know, with Virgo, that anger would arise for um, things are just not perfect. And that could unnerve somebody who has a lot of planets in Virgo as well. Other planets that can indicate like a sense of anger could be um, a Sun-Saturn conjunction. Saturn in the 10th house, or even Saturn um, right at the at the ascendant, um, and especially Saturn. Saturn is very restrictive. So uh, kind of like with, um, kind of like how Virgos can be in their shadow element, except I kind of feel, um, you know, take a look at Capricorns in their shadow element where it's like things need to be in a certain place. Things need to start at a certain step. Saturn is very responsible for that, where it's like things have to go this way. Things have to just run smoothly. And with grief, it doesn't run smoothly at all. Everything from the emotional process to how you're feeling to what the hell you're actually thinking. <laughs> um, trust me, the thoughts get really weird when you're grieving a loved one, for sure. Um, but with Saturn, it's really there's nothing logical, linear, methodical about grief. And that can cause a sense of frustration um, and anger as well, too, uh, when it comes to grief. According to Daryl and Gunsberg, um, also people who have, um, so on the flip side, people who have a lot of mutable influences. Okay, so this this is kind of floating, this is kind of, um, a little close to yours truly's home right now, but it, it is helpful for me to know. So um, anyone who has mutables outside of like Gemini, um, Sagittarius, Virgo, or Pisces, like any sort of um, planetary alignments, I'll tell you first and foremost, stargazers, I have three planets in Gemini, two planets in Virgo, three planets in Sagittarius. So I definitely have a very mutable, a very mutable chart uh, for sure. And it kind of explain, it seems to explain a lot of things. But when it comes down to grief, these individuals tend to escape or they tend to romanticize um, the loved one passing. Uh, what Daryl and Gunsberg mentioned as an example is someone saying, oh, well, this person, you know, they were relieved of the grief that they had suffered when they were alive, and now they're in a better place. And I've come to, um, I I've thought about both with my grandmother's death as well as my dad's death, I had thought about that a lot, you know, and tried to let that be the end all be all to grief. Especially with my grandmother's death, I can tell you personally, I actually tried the more the escapist route, which was, you know, this death business, you know, this sadness, this heavy feeling, this heavy cloud. I don't like it. So I'm just going to be optimistic. I'm just going to be cheery. I'm just going to focus on things that are optimistic and help me to literally escape from what's going on outside of me, what's going on in the here and the now. Um, right now with my father's death, I'm trying to acknowledge that I am prone to doing that. And the moments in which I want to escape, 
um, those are the moments where I try to take a Pluto influence um, or Scorpio influence really and try to just kind of probe inward and really kind of hold that. Are you sure you're really okay? Are you sure you're not just burying something that really should be expressed right now? And, you know, again, expression of grief doesn't always have to be through tears, doesn't always have to be through crying. It could be through, you know, the arts or could be through, you know, like, you know, doing five rhythm stance and expressing it through there or through art in general. I think that's a constructive outlet. But it's like before you escape, is there something that you're trying to bury? And is there something that maybe you could express a bit more? And the more that I hold myself accountable and take that Plutoid or that Scorpion sort of influence in me, the more that it kind of helps me to not just go, you know, it's like, I, you know, escapism is okay in a little bit, uh, you know, little equal bits and amounts in grief, but um, to where it's overly excessive as it was in my 20s with my grandmother is not okay. Um, what I found was that I kept hitting, hitting my head up against multi plexiglass walls or the, the figurative plexiglass walls and going back to square one. The more that you hide sadness or the more that you hide anger or the more that you hide disillusionment or acceptance or any of the five elements of grief, the more it can curtail you and it makes you feel it whether you like it or not. <laughs> and that I definitely experienced when I was 23 to 24 years old. Um, I think it took a lot longer for me to process my grandmother's death because of the sense of escapism. Um, but that's what I usually recommend for those who are like me, who have a heavy mutable influence in their chart. Um, you know, if you have like a lot of planets outside, like I said, again, um, Gemini, Sagittarius, Virgo, or Pisces, or like with me, um, three of the, or like four, you know, three out of four, um, definitely, um, what I would just say is take that scorpion influence or that Pluto sort of influence, um, to you. And again, the, the times in which you want to romanticize the person who has passed or the times in which you want to just escape, um, you know, again, every now and then when you're escaping, try to come up for air and try to really probe in and see if there's something that you're trying to also bury. Um, you know, we can bury ourselves or we can bury our grief sometimes, and especially those parts that we don't want to see and just try to acknowledge it. And, you know, I'm not saying acknowledge it for like a whole day or acknowledge it for a whole night. You know, that's, that's impossible. I mean, especially with how torturous grief can be. Um, but maybe just hold it, um, for a little bit, or maybe just kind of hold it in your, in your mindfulness for maybe at least like three to five minutes is what I would say, you know, in a, in a given day, you know, within three to five minutes, take a look at what you might be hiding or take a look at what might be what you're trying to run away from. And, um, what I've noticed in this period with me is that the more that you mindfully hold your grief, um, the more that you feel as though you're being not only real to yourself, but also you're kind of expressing it a bit more and kind of dissipating dark dissipating some of the dark clouds that are building. You can't dissipate all of them. That takes time, but maybe dissipating some. Um, you know, like I said, by not avoiding it, like kind of just facing it head on a little bit. And like I said, again, three to five minutes at a time. Don't, don't try to do a whole day's worth of probing. You're going to fall apart. And it's, I've tried that. Um, I think I've tried that a couple of times within these last weeks and I've literally collapsed, um, energy wise. So, um, you know, I just, I just get really sluggish and very tired after a while. So within reason is what I would say. Planet-wise, um, someone who has the Sun conjunct Neptune also has this influence, like the mutables, where they tend to romanticize or try to escape. And again, I would recommend the same things 
as I would with somebody who has heavy mutability in their chart. Just really try to see if you can mindfully hold grief for like, you know, three to five minutes or mindfully hold what you're trying to escape from for like three to five minutes and then go back to whatever it is that you're, you're doing um, in that moment. For those, so, um, yeah, the author, um, Gunsberg, had mentioned that, you know, it's not just those who have trouble or those who get, you know, kind of stuck in one grief stage, but also those who have, you know, she also mentions those who are individuals who can, like, face grief head on. Um, those individuals who have a lot of aspects in the eighth house, also Pluto right outside um, their ascendant usually are those who are like, bring it on grief. I don't care. Bring it on. I want to learn. I want to make sure I'm probing. I want to make sure I feel everything that I feel in order to, you know, just kind of get this, you know, it's, it's not really to get it over with. It's just like, let me embrace everything that, that this, that this situation has to offer. And these individuals tend to dive into grief headlong, head first, and really just tend to deal with it um, rather well, or kind of, I don't want to say rather well, but they just tend to deal with it. They, they tend to wrestle with the deep underlying themes, um, the deep underlying questions, the probing, the, the deep discussions, the philosophical discussions, and also just the depth of grief as well, too. Um, they tend to handle that rather well um, when it comes to grief, or they just kind of approach it like just headlong and head first as well. Gunsberg had also mentioned that um, those who have um, strong Uranus Aquarius associations, they're far more um, logical or they like to intellectualize grief a little bit more as opposed to facing the emotions. They get rather uncomfortable around weepiness. They get rather uncomfortable around the emotional aspect that they try to intellectualize everything, kind of like Virgo, um, those who have a lot of planets in Virgo as well, too. What I would just say is, um, and, you know, listen, um, with grief, it's good to do what feels comfortable to a point. I would just say to those who have a lot of uh, either strong Uranus placement or a lot of planets with Aquarius, um, do try to embrace the inevitable or do try to embrace what isn't intellectualized and do kind of admit that it will happen at one point or another. I think that would, you know, just to kind of embrace the emotions, however weird they feel and kind of embracing what's going on, the the uncertainty of it, that it can't just be rationalized, I think would help um, when it comes to grief. So for those who also have wounds in the chart, so wounds are either Sun conjunct Pluto, the Moon conjunct Pluto, uh, Saturn conjunct Pluto, Pluto in the 12th house, um, Pluto in the IC, and also conjunct the Ascendant as well too. Um, these sort of wounds, it'll take more, because these wounds actually exacerbate Certain emotions, um, is what Gunsberg has said, the, the, this could take a little more time. The more that you can wrestle with some of the themes that pop up with the grief, the more it might be a little easier. I can tell you right now, I have both Saturn conjunct my moon and Pluto conjunct my moon, which um, means, so Pluto conjunct the moon is intense emotions from birth that get pushed to the unconscious. Um, you know, and of course with death and with grief, um, I kind of feel like the unconscious just kind of comes out big time. Um, so dealing with those themes and what the hell do they mean? You know, like some weird thoughts that come up, what the hell do they mean? What the hell could be a possibility and trying to get those guys resolved as much as possible. Um, Saturn, uh, conjunct the moon as well too, 
is like kind of, um, you know, they, the individual can, um, acknowledge they, they have like a, a sort of quote unquote skin hunger. They crave hugs. They crave, uh, you know, affection. But yet by the same token, they feel like for some reason affection is wrong, that you're supposed to feel suffering and suffering only, which I've had experience with. And, you know, the more that you can embrace just embracing people and the fact that, you know, you're going to take caring and kindness in different ways at certain times and that it's not wrong to feel happy or it's not wrong to feel loved or it's not wrong to feel appreciated. And actually, you know, that concerned neighbors are actually caring for you a little bit or concerned friends are caring for you a little bit and feeling that care. It isn't wrong. And that, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a good, it's something that's good. And that's something that can help you that can help with grief. I think we all need those embraces. I think we all need that consideration and kindness and a little bit of love um, when it comes to dealing with uh, loss in general. Um, Sun conjunct Pluto is usually uh, mortality of a father is usually kind of thought of at an early age, um, needing to dealing with feels of betrayal, especially of the father figure. But I think um, betrayal when it comes, I think betrayal will be a constant, kind of like with Scorpio, that's going to be a constant theme um, that's going to have to be wrestled with. And how I would say using Pluto's transformative ability of how to overcome that feeling of betrayal um, or maybe like grief might even bring out like some memories or some thoughts of betrayal um, even and just how to deal, just dealing with that and to where it's not like, you know, completely um, debilitating you um, in that time, I think will be helpful, um, not only to get through these wounds, but also to help you process grief. Pluto in the 12th house, um, difficult birth is what it usually mentions. And then it's like uh, what usually a lot of texts mention. And then fear of losing control. Um, you know, just the, you know, the grief process is just, you know, that loss of control over your life and just that fear that comes with it, um, I think comes with the territory. And, you know, I think with that fear of losing control, maybe just embracing that we're not always in control of everything and that maybe, um, the change that you're facing that like maybe, um, keeping a change log of what could be beneficial with this fear of losing control. Like say you have lost control and say that things do change. What are some beneficial aspects to those changes? What are some beneficial aspects that could come from this change and that could really help you to progress forth? That might be, um, you know, again, it, it, these when I say, you know, certain things um, like this might help you to process, it can help you to process grief. And again, it'll be in baby steps, but I think for those, especially with Pluto um, in the 12th house, um, keeping that change log, I think, might be rather helpful um, in helping with grief and that fear of losing control. Um, because, again, I, I know that feeling all too well. I felt that um, myself, but it's like, what are the benefits of change at this time? Um, when it comes to your life, it might not be the same as it once was, but what are some benefits? Um, you know, again, acknowledging the drawbacks, of course, but what are some benefits that can help you to progress forth? Um, Pluto on the ascendant is usually at home, um, with dealing with difficult emotions and, um, you know, sometimes those difficult emotions could get in the way of you know, it could really exacerbate grief. So I think finding ways to calm those difficult emotions or just having, I think, a creative outlet for those difficult emotions to just kind of rise and to just have like a constructive outlet to let those guys go so that you're not just hanging on to them forever and ever. And then Pluto on the IC is an abusive home life, mortality of the mother or just home front issues. Um, usually, you know, it's just kind of, like I said, the, the home front issues, um, you know, with those, those sort of things, 
I think just, you know, fear of a loss of the family unit. And again, I think um, a change log would be helpful for that. And also that's close to home for me. Um, I didn't have an abusive home life nor a mortality, uh, you know, or just those home front issues, but I've had those fears, especially with my parents. And unfortunately, one of my biggest nightmares just came to reality, came to head with my dad. Um, so I would just say, you know, when it comes to those fears, again, I think trying to just embrace those changes. And I, I've been trying to do that recently and it's, um, it's tough. It is, it really is, but it's something that can, it, it can help you to transition from one phase to the next because death is definitely that transitory, big transitory phase. So the last point that um, Daryl and Gunsberg wanted to make was that with the angular planets, um, that just means, so like say you have um, lots of planets in the angular planets, so lots of planets in the first, the fourth, um, the seventh, and the tenth houses usually means that you like to take charge more readily of the grief process and also everything that comes with it. You know, taking charge of the will, taking charge of all the financial responsibilities or just all the responsibilities that are left um, that the loved one who had passed on normally dealt with and maybe shouldering those responsibilities as well, too. Personally, I've I've felt this as well. Um, my dad did a lot around the home. And to try to shoulder some of the responsibilities has been an eye opener for me. It's been kind of sad because it's like I'm starting to understand my dad once he's gone. And I didn't understand my dad when he was here. But, um, you know, just try to shoulder those responsibilities, put one foot in front of the other and try to move forward as much as you possibly can with life is usually what um, those with angular planets I would just say that in that process of just trying to take charge and trying to move one foot in front of the other, don't be afraid every now and then if you do have to take a time out or don't be afraid every now and then if you, if you can't really do some things, um, more being more productive doesn't always mean that you're going, you're, you're, you're getting out of grief faster. I know this because I, like I said, I, I not only feel this, um, I do have my son in my first house. I do have a couple of planets in my fourth house. Um, so I do have two aspects in my angular houses, so to speak. Um, you know, like major, you know, like a lot of planets in my angular houses. But, um, you know, that feeling, I, I can understand that feeling of just wanting to move on and therefore you kind of, you know, get grief to move on as well. And unfortunately, again, that's another form of escapism. Um, that's where you can hit a plexiglass wall. And what I just recommend is that, you know, don't like for me, like with my podcast, I felt so bad that it, it took me a long time to get a new episode out. But, you know, there are just, there were just some times where it's just a bad day and that I just had to acknowledge with grief that it was just a bad moment. It was just a bad time. It was just not a good, good time, not a good hour. And that's, that's perfectly, perfectly okay. I know it sounds counterintuitive, but it is, it's perfectly fine to just be at ease and just to rest a little bit. And sometimes that can help you to process more and be far more productive for the future. Um, when it comes to, you know, getting over the hurdle, the hurdles, I should say, of grief. Well, Stargazers, this is actually the end of my episode. This is what I have compiled. For those of you who are going through grief, who have gone through a death, or if you've gone through grief with a different matter, like maybe, um, you know, amputees deal with grief with a loss of a limb, um, those who've gone through trauma deal with grief. Um, first off, I just want to say big heartfelt. I am sorry that you're going through that phase. It really sucks. It really does. Um, but I really hope that this episode was very helpful to you. 
And I hope that it brought like a sense of solace and a, and a sense of comfort. Again, Stargazers, if you have any questions or comments, please feel free to reach out to me. Um, there's misek, M-I-S-E-K dot Sandra at gmail.com or my Instagram page at Sandra dot Misek. Again, that's spelled M-I-S-E-K above all Stargazers. But I just um, say for this new year, if you can look up at the stars, um, I know in the Denver, Colorado area, it's a little tricky. We have some cloud cover um, due to the snow and the massive winter um, storms that have been blowing through the U.S., um, but if you can look up at the stars, we have a gorgeous new cold moon, or actually gorgeous full cold moon tonight. And um, that would help to illuminate all the constellations, including that of the 12 astrological signs in the sky tonight. But above all, stargazers, as was my holiday wish before the you know Christmas, Yule, Hanukkah, and Kwanzaa seasons, my New Year's wish to you guys is to be well. Um, really, if you have loved ones around, especially a father figure, please give them a hug. Please show them your love. And even if you have your mom around too, show them your love. Show everyone who is still alive your love. And above all, um, be well, I would say. Um, definitely, I hope to find you all for nice and well. Um, hope that you are all doing well, especially in the midst of Mercury Retrograde. And Stargazers, between now and next time, I will talk with you then.